This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope that you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Genesis chapter 11. Commencing to read from verse 31 and reading through to verse 5 of chapter 12. And Terah took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot and the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abraham's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be, blessed. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. And we know the Lord will bless to read to us the reading of his precious word. The story of Abraham, the journey he undertook, his experiences that he had along the way, and above all, his relationship with God is a story that has captivated the minds of men down through the ages. The church in itself has been inspired by the story. It has been challenged by the happenings of such a journey. Abraham, found in Ur of the Chaldeans, found in what could easily be said was unfavorable circumstances. It wasn't, wasn't really suitable for things of God, for the move of God, for the happening of God. And yet within that environment, he found God. Scholars over the years have tried to understand and great depth to acquire greater understanding of the story of Abraham, they go by what God's word presents to them, but they also try and delve in to those things that's not contained within God's word. As one man put it, they read what's on the line and they read what's between the lines. And they endeavor to get a greater understanding of the significance of the life of Abraham and in particular, the journey that he undertook. And while they may not all agree in their findings, they all agree in one thing, that the journey of Abraham was the beginning of the wonderful plan of redemption as planned by God for the world through his son, Jesus Christ. 2,000 years had passed since creation and the fall. 400 years had passed since the flood. 
and the world was back in darkness. It tells us that they were idol worshippers. They were full of wickedness. Each man was doing his own thing without having a conscience, without being accountable to anyone. And it's in that environment Abraham grew up. It's in that environment that Abraham realized that their idolatry and their way of life was not appealing to him. It was not sufficient for him. And he set out to discover the true and living God. I wish they would give us a little more information as how he went about that, being in that environment. But we're not told. Sufficient to say he sought God with all his heart and God made contact. And that contact grew and developed. For as God had his man in Noah in his day, he had his man in Abraham in his day. I believe in every generation, no matter what the circumstances may be, no matter what is happening, no matter what is going on, God has his man, he has his people for that particular day, for that particular need, for that particular generation. For God will not leave the world without a witness that there is a God, a living God. He's not made of stone, brass, precious metals, or anything else, but he's a living God, an awesome God, a God who sees, a God who has hands to move and reach out to each and every one of us, a God who's able to do for us what we are not able to do for ourselves, a God who is not limited. We limit him, but he is limitless in all that he can do for us. James says of Abraham in James 2 and 23, Abraham believed God and it was puted unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. What an accolade to carry that you are known not so much by your name, but you're known as a friend of God. Historians tell us the city of Ur was a wealthy city. It was a progressive city. It could easily uh, match up to the modern cities of today. It was a place of learning. They had schools, they had libraries, they had a system of law and order. It was a wealthy city, a city of prosperity. It offered many things to its occupants, luxuries, easy living, wealth, prosperity. But yet one thing it lacked in, it was in darkness. And God's desire was to bring Abraham out of that environment and to take him on a journey where he could relate to God in a new and fresh way to acquire a greater understanding of God and the things of God. The city of Ur, they worshiped the moon God. And the question for Abraham was, the bottom line was, did he want what God wanted for him or did he want to stay where he was? How God communicated to Abraham, his plan, we're not told. Did he hear an audible voice as Samuel did whilst in the temple, calling him by name, relaying to him 
in an audible voice his plans for him and what his desires were? We're not told. Did he, in a night's sleep, have a dream as Joseph did concerning the birth of Jesus? Did God convey to him in that manner? We're not told. Or did he, as he waited on God, have a vision as Peter did whilst on the rooftops? We're not told. But this one thing we know, Abraham's relationship was, with God was such that whatever way God chose to communicate with him, when he did, Abraham knew it was God who was speaking. He didn't say, well, is that my imagination? Is that what I'm thinking? Or is that from God? Such was his relationship with God. And Abraham was at a turning point in life. He was at a crossroads. Did he go forward with God or did he stay where he was? And you and I are rejoicing this evening that he said yes to God. Writer in Hebrews put it in Hebrews 11 and 8. By faith, Abraham, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. He said yes. He entered on the journey. But the question I ask for your consideration tonight is what did he take with him on that journey? And there's one word to describe it. He took baggage. Let me explain. God said to Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house onto a land that I will show you. And Abraham, as he set off, he did not go alone. He brought his father. He brought his nephew, Lot. And I just want to say something here before we go any further. God, when he gave Moses the commandments on Mount Sinai, as recorded in Exodus chapter 20, in that law that he gave, there's this law. It says, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. He has never removed that law. And for those of us who are privileged to have our parents with us to this day, it is our duty, it is our responsibility, not only to honor them, but to care for them where necessary and attend to their needs. And when God was saying to Abraham to leave his father behind, he wasn't saying to Abraham, forsake your dad and move on, for provision was made. For we are told that Abraham's two brothers, Nahor and Haran, were living in the city of Ur at the time. So there was provision made. God wasn't asking Abraham to break the law that he had given to Moses. But Abraham brought his father. In so doing, he brought upon himself experiences, circumstances, situations that God had not planned for him to experience. For the reason to leave family behind was simply 
to leave idolatry behind. For as Joshua tells us in chapter 24, that Abraham's father served other gods. But Abraham brought his dad. And it would seem from what little we know, Abraham was influenced by his father, by what his father wanted, by what his father required, rather than listening and focusing on what God was saying and what God required. The result being, of course, they traveled some 600 miles. They came to the city of Haran. And Abraham found himself in a situation where he had exchanged one idolatrous city for another. For Abraham's father, perhaps, he thought, this is what I'm looking for. He was back in his own environment, for in Haran, they worshipped the moon god also. He was back in his own environment, in his own comfort zone. You know, the scripture says, what fellowship has light with darkness? And on that journey, I wondered what the relationship was like. For dad was looking for the moon, and Abraham was worshipping the true God. What had they in common? Nothing, as far as spiritually was concerned. And we are told that Abraham's father died and the word of the Lord came again. Matthew Henry says that their stay in the city of Haran was estimated to be five years. But the word of the Lord came again. But hear what the word of the Lord said. It hadn't changed. It hadn't altered. God's plan for Abraham hadn't changed with the passage of time, hadn't changed because of that five-year gap of going nowhere. God's plan was still the same. God's desires for Abraham was still the same. What God wanted Abraham to be part of was still the same. And Abraham, once again, is on the move. But yet we see He's still not hearing what God is saying. For he was told to leave family behind. He took Lot with him. And as a result, a chain of events took place. There was a family dispute. They both were wealthy men. They had great herds. The problem was finding pasture for their flocks, sufficient water for them. And so the herdsmen got into a battle. Abraham said to Lot, let's not fall out. Let's not have a family row. Let's part company. You go one way, I'll go the other. And Lot looked out over the valleys of Sodom and he saw that they were green. There was plenty of pasture, plenty of water for the herds. And he said to Abraham, I'll go that way. And Abraham went the opposite direction. And if he thought that that was the problem, that was the end of the the difficulty. He was to be proven wrong. For in chapter 14, we read that the city of Sodom is raided. Lot and family are carried off captives. Word comes to Abraham, and he has to mobilize his army. He has to go in pursuit of them and have to recover what has been taken. And having done so, they make their way back to Lot and so on, back to their lodgings. And I'm sure Abraham, as he sat in the tent that evening, as he thought over the day's happenings, he thought, well, I'm glad that's over. 
that's that finished with. But then in chapter 18, we see God communes with Abraham and he tells him of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham is concerned because Lot is there. And he enters upon a series of discourse with God, pleading, pleading that God will be merciful, that God will not destroy. It started off with 50 people, 50 righteous, Lord, you'll not destroy the city. And it ended up coming right down, right down, right down, even to 10. And there wasn't even 10 that were righteous. And so God brought judgment. We know the story. We know how it ended. But the question I want to challenge you with this evening is this. Abraham entered upon a journey, the journey, to fulfill the plan and purpose of God in his life. What journey are we on this evening? Are we on our own journey? Or are we on the journey that God desires us to be on? This is the 18th day of January 2015. We're just stepping into a new year. It presents to us many challenges, many unknowns, many uh, situations where we, we, we left in wonder, how will it pan out? What will happen to us? How will we cope? What will we face? What valleys will we find ourselves in? What mountain tops will we find ourselves on? Where are we going this year? Who are we following? What is our desires? Are we thirsting after the things of the world? And when I say that, I'm speaking about careers and possessions and such like. Not that there's anything wrong with that in its right place. Or are we thirsting for the things of God? That we may know him and we may know him in the power of his resurrection. That we may have a greater understanding of God and what he wants for us and what he wants to do through us, of how he wants to bless us, of how he has, wants to minister through us, even in this year in which we find ourselves. God is calling us in 2015, not to drift. Many are drifting. They're just here and there. No plan, no organization. But God has a plan for us. I worked with one elder. And you know, when we try to organize things, his favorite saying was, we'll wing it and see what happens. But God doesn't wing it. God's in control. God has planned. He has worked things out. He knows what he's doing. He knows the start of the journey and he knows the end of the journey and he knows what happens in between. And he challenges us. Are we on that journey? Have we a vision? Have we a longing? Have we a desire for the things of God? for the plans of God, for the outworking of our spiritual well-being in 2015? 
Are we prepared to enter God's plan? to step on to the pathway that he has chosen for us, that he's asking us to follow, are we prepared to make the effort to put all to one side that we may attain the well done, good and faithful servant at the end of the journey? See, Abraham in Genesis 12 and 2 was given a great promise. And Abraham in Ur, the city of Ur, as he heard that promise, he could have said, well, that's a brilliant promise. I like it. I want it. I really want it. But you know, until Abraham said yes to God, and he said, yes, I want it, and I'm prepared to do whatever you require me to do to see it fulfilled. If Abraham had remained in the city of Ur, the promise that God had made could not have been fulfilled. What promises have we missed out on in our lives because we haven't been prepared to say yes to God, because we haven't been prepared to get on the road to make the effort required to see that promise fulfilled in our lives. Abraham went out with God, not knowing whither he went. He moved from what was certain, what was safe, what was routine, what he was familiar with, to going on a journey full of so many uncertainties. He didn't even know where the end of the journey was going to lead him, but he trusted and believed God. And you know, God has promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The writer in Proverbs 3 and 8 says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. The psalmist in Psalm 91 says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. We have the promises of God to go on. We have the assurance of God. Jason spoke last Sunday night about God's promises. Do you know? When God says it, he means it. Do you know? God asked the question, am I a man that I should lie? No. If God makes a promise, if we fulfill the conditions, he will honor it. Are we on the journey for 2015? But what are we bringing with us on this journey? In other words, what baggage are we bringing with us in 2015? In 2004, I had a massive heart attack and I was out of action for over a year. And my consultant thought it would be good if I joined a few classes and done a few exercises to build my confidence and get me mobile again. And so I turned up on the prescribed day at the prescribed time at the waves pool in Lurgan and we went up to one of the room upstairs gym rooms and there was a group of us of course and they set two markers out on the floor and they took your blood pressure they checked your heart rate they said to make sure you were alive and you were up to it (laughs) 
And then they said, right, I want you to walk between the two markers so many times. I think it was about 20 times or something like that. And I thought to myself, well, it's not too bad. And we set off, but they timed us. And at the end of it, of course, I was panting. I was gasping for air. And they set you down and they, they monitor your blood pressure and so on over a period of time till it comes down to what it should be and your heart rate and so on. And then they made you a cup of tea and give you a biscuit and let you rest a while. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's, that's not too bad. And then they said they wanted, want you to do it again. So I stood up to do the test again, and the nurse produced two bags of potatoes. And I was left wondering, what nurse is doing with two bags of potatoes? She's definitely not going to make the dinner. <laughs> and she says, I want you to take one in each hand. Now, there were about five pound bags of potatoes, so I took one in each hand and thought, they're not too heavy, they're not too bad. And she says, no, I want you to walk the course. And I set off. And I wasn't going very long before I began to realize the bags were getting heavier. I was getting slower. And when I finished, if I was exhausted the first time, I was more exhausted the second. But the point of the exercise was to get home to us the reality that when you're carrying excess weight, the effect it has upon you in your ability, in the speed you're able to move at, and so on. So we transfer that into the spiritual. Carrying baggage slows us down. Carrying baggage inhibits our ability to move at the speed God wants us to do and to do the things that God wants us to do. During my years in ministry, I have been somewhat amazed and yet saddened at the baggage Christians bring with them from year to year. They seem to not be able to let go. One of the big Bugbears for many is the unwillingness to forgive. No, Jesus in his ministry was a ministry of forgiveness. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter what your background was. It didn't matter what your lifestyle was. Jesus preached forgiveness. The church preaches the message of forgiveness. But sometimes I think they fall very short for they don't act the way they preach. Unwillingness to forgive has wrecked lives, has wrecked families, has wrecked communities, has even wrecked churches. We're called upon to forgive. Someone said something. Someone did something. Or maybe it was slightly different. Someone didn't say what you were hoping they were going to say. They weren't, didn't give you the praise you were looking for. Someone didn't acknowledge what you had done and you were hurt. Your feelings were hurt. And you said, you know, I'll get even. I'll not have that. And what started off, as I would say, a molehill over a period of time has come into a mountain. I've met those who have carried baggage, not just from one year to the other, but from year after year after year. Some have even carried it for a lifetime. And you know, the outcome is for those who find themselves in that position, 
Their health suffers. Their well-being suffers. But above all, their spiritual life suffers. Lives that have been used of God, lives that had tremendous potential, all of a sudden have stopped because they wouldn't forgive what has been done to them, what has happened to them. One man I was speaking to on the matter, he said to me, you know, you can't unscramble scrambled eggs. It's an impossibility. You can't undo what has happened. You can't change what has happened. You can't turn the clock back and rerun the situation. I remember a conversation with one lady going back many years, and she quoted from Romans 12, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay thee. That was her attitude. She wasn't going to give up. She wasn't going to let go. She was waiting on judgment as came down on Sodom and Gomorrah. How sad. How sad that a child of God, one who believed in God, one who knew forgiveness of sins, could not find it within her heart to forgive those who had wronged her. But then she's not the only one. Even the disciples had a similar attitude. For we read in Luke chapter 9, James and John were displeased with what was going on. And what did they say? Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But Jesus says, he rebuked them. You know not what manner of spirit ye are of. Then, of course, in Matthew 18, we have Peter's conversation with Jesus. If my brother offend me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven, Peter suggested. Jesus says, not just seven, but 70 times seven. In other words, there's no limit <coughs> to how many times we forgive. Paul, speaking of the situation in Romans 12, says these words, speaking of those who have offended us and how we should respond to them. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcomers by evil, but, be overco but overcome evil with good. Jesus, in dealing with the disciples in Matthew chapter 6, once again, we're given another example of forgiveness. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And in verses 9 and 13 of chapter 6, we have what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And yet contained within that prayer, there's this line, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against them. But yet we recite the prayer and we fail very often to take note of the last two verses, 14 and 15, in which Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to his disciples. He's making a very positive point to them. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you yours. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. That's an awful verse, a challenging verse. This is not a disciple speaking. This is Jesus himself. This is the situation. 
He's saying to his disciples, listen, guys, this is how it is. You either forgive, because if you don't forgive, I'll not forgive. And those who need to forgive are also those who need to be forgiven. <coughs> when I read such verses, and I think of my experiences in the past, and those I have dealt with, and some have gone to their eternal reward with unforgiveness in their hearts. It leaves me with concern and wonder and anxiety. Or maybe the baggage that you're carrying this evening is one of fear, fear of failure. You've tried in the past to move out in the things of God, You've got involved on a one-to-one -one basis, maybe in something that the church has organized. You've tried it, and it hasn't worked out. And you've said to yourself, you know, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to try that again. I'm amazed how easily we give up regarding things spiritual. But as regards our careers and life and so on, we persist. In life, if at first you don't succeed, we say, try, try again. In the spiritual, we say, if at first you don't succeed, just give up. And that seems to be many people's attitude. But you know, if we adopted the same attitude as regards things spiritual as we do with everyday life, we wouldn't get very far. We wouldn't achieve very much. You know, Paul says in Philippines 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul, in making that statement, wasn't saying, listen, guys, I'm a superman. I can do anything. But what he was saying is, when I do, with God's help, the things that God asks of me to do, the things that God knows that I'm capable of doing, then God comes in and he does what only he can do. And between the two of us, we get the job done. Perhaps the baggage you're carrying is one of concern, uncertainty about the future. You may think, well, do you know, life's not fair. And if, you, if I'm being honest, in many situations, life isn't fair. Perhaps, like me, you've asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? I've asked that question myself. I haven't been able to come up with an answer. I've read books. I've heard comments. But none has satisfied me to uh, sufficiently as to what the answer should be. Perhaps life has brought death at your door. Bereavement has come. And you're asking the question, why? 33 years ago, death came to my door. And I found myself asking the question, why, Lord? Why? And for some time... I found myself in constant prayer, waiting on God and saying, Lord, why? Why? Why did this happen? Why me? And then after a while, I changed my prayer a little, and I said, well, Lord, you know, give me a little hint. 
give me a little hint and that will suffice me. But you know, there was still no answer. And then I had to come to the realization that for this question, there was no answer this side of eternity. One day, I'll understand why. Perhaps because of bereavement, as I've spoken to some in the past, they're filled with guilt. Guilt that they are here, their loved one is gone. They feel guilty and unable to move on with life. You know the scripture speaks of a time to mourn. And we need time to mourn. How long we take is up to the individual. But the scriptures also speak of a day when mourning is past. The scriptures, as I have read them, I'm summarizing, and it very much challenges us who are in this position, that we wash our face, we get rid of the clothes of mourning, and we move on with God. For when death came knocking at our home, God's plan for my life didn't stop. It hasn't changed. It hasn't altered. God has still a poor plan for me as he has for each one of you who are found in that situation. Perhaps it's ill health that has come at your door. Life's going great. Everything's well. Bang. And within a short space of time, ill health has come. Not only short term, but I'm speaking of long term. And there are those in our gathering tonight who are there. They're going through that experience. I'm ten and a half years coping with it. And for each of us, each day brings us challenges, a change of routine, the realization it's not a case of the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore, but the things I used to do, I'm not able to do them anymore. That is the circumstances we find ourselves in. And the challenge for us as believers is to how we deal with that, that we realize that God doesn't make mistakes. He knows what he's doing, and he asks us to trust him. Or perhaps the baggage that you're carrying with you into this year is one that you're under a cloud, a cloud of fear, a cloud of failure, a cloud of panic. You find yourself in a situation and you don't know how you got there. You find yourself in that situation and you haven't the ability to solve it, to get out of it. I listened to a doctor speaking about some of his patients and he said, you know, one of the big problems that he faces was this, convincing somebody that they were ill. And having done that, then he had to convince them that they needed help. And then he had convinced them to accept help. And there are many situations that Christians find themselves in in this day in which we find ourselves, in which the church doesn't have the professional skills or answers to deal with. There are Christian counselors. There are some who are skilled. And the churches are reaching out to those who have the experience, the understanding, and the ability to deal with such situations. 
But if you're to move out from under that cloud this year, you need to realise you need help. And you need to be prepared to accept help. I've listened testimony of those who have sought help. And they've spoke of the relief, of the movement of the cloud from over them, of the able to move on in life, to be able to see a future, a hope for the year ahead. Friends, tonight, can I say to you, if that's where you are, you need to move out from under the cloud. You need to get the help that's available and experience the sun, the S-U-N, shining on your face in this year in which you find yourselves. The question for us this evening is simply this. Are we going to let the experiences of the past dictate our future? For 2015, God has impressed upon me that if we want things to change, then what needs to change is you and I. So often we're waiting, well, when this changes, when that happens, when something else happens, then I'll move. But God is saying, I'm waiting on you. I'm wanting you to change. Paul said in Hebrews 12, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Paul could easily have brought baggage with him. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a day and a night I have been in the deep. He was imprisoned, he suffered many things. But Paul adopted the attitude, none of these things move me. They've happened I can't change them. I'm moving on. I'm leaving them behind. I'm committing them to Jesus. He goes on to say in Philippians 3, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Is that where we are? This 18th day of January, 2015. Abraham was told of a wonderful promise. He had to make up his mind. He had to decide whether he wanted what God wanted for him or whether he was going to stay where he was. God has a wonderful promise, plan and promise for us. We often refer to Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plan to give you a hope and a future. See, we're not just a face in a crowd. We're just, just a number as far as God's concerned. We're an individual. God knows us by name. He knows, scriptures tell us he knows how many hairs are on our head. And for some of us, that's less challenging than others, but that's reality. That says something of the interest that God places upon each and every one of us. And God has a wonderful plan for us. Before we arrived on the scene, he knew us. Before we arrived on the scene, he had a plan laid out from our arrival to our departure. And his desire 
is to bless us, to meet our needs, and to prosper us. No, we're not robots. We're not machines tonight. God and his creation created man to have a free will, a will in which he could think, in which he could decide, in which he could say yes or no to the things of God. And the challenge I bring to you this evening, what is your answer going to be to God this evening? I want us to take a moment. I want us to consider this year. I want us to consider what God has in store for us. We don't know, but he knows. I want us to consider, do we want what God has for us for 2015? Or are we happy to muddle on as we are? God is present here this evening. The scripture says, he looketh not on the outward appearance, but he looketh on the heart. He knows our heart. He knows our innermost feelings, our emotions. He knows where we are, where we are and what we're thinking. And he challenges this evening, are you going to say yes to me? Are you going to go on this journey with me that I have planned for you in 2000? And 15. It's a crossroads in each of our experiences tonight. We need to make a decision tonight. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, the closing of this service. And Lord, we are coming to one from whom nothing is hid, to one to whom all things are revealed. And we pray, Lord, this evening that as we have searched our hearts and given our answer, Lord, that you will give us the strength to change the things that need to be changed, the grace to accept the things we cannot change, and the determination to go through with you in this year, 2015. Lord, that your plans, your purposes may be brought to pass in our lives, that your kingdom may be extended that your work may move forward in your divine will and plan. These things we ask in Jesus' name, giving you thanks. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or even download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.